This is day 43 of our daily Bible reading. Today we will read Deuteronomy chapters 16 through 19 and Psalm 43. Lord Heavenly Father, thank you for this new day. We ask, Lord, that you would grant us peace, that you would grant us tranquility in our minds and our hearts, that we may rest in ease, knowing that you are in control, that you remain sovereign on your throne, and that there is nothing that goes by that you're not aware of. You know exactly what's going on with every individual on the face of this planet. And Lord, you are close to us in our times of need and our times of trouble. Lord, as we rest in your word this morning, help us to maintain an open mind and to have a heart that is willing to receive your word with gladness, that it may empower us, that it may grant us wisdom and trust and faith in you, knowing that you are the provider of this word and that your words are life and they are truth. Help us to be people who are a people of truth in the days to come. In this world that is currently battling between what is true and what is convenient. Please bless the reading of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Observe the month of Abib and celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. You shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd in the place where the Lord chooses to establish his name. You shall not eat leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat with it unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, so that you may remember all the days of your life, the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. For seven days no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. And none of the flesh which you sacrifice on the morning of the first day shall remain overnight until morning. You are not allowed to sacrifice the Passover in any of your towns which the Lord your God is giving you, but at the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish his name, you shall sacrifice the Passover in the evening at sunset, at the time that you came out of Egypt. You shall cook and eat it in the place which the Lord your God chooses. In the morning you are to return to your tents. Six days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. You shall count seven weeks for yourself. You shall begin to count seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. Then you shall celebrate the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God with a tribute of a free will offering of your hand, which you shall give just as the Lord your God blesses you. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter and your male and female servants and the Levite who is in your town and the stranger and the orphan and the widow who are in your midst in the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish his name. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. You shall celebrate the Feast of Booths seven days 
after you have gathered in from your threshing floor and your wine vat, and you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter and your male and female servants, and the Levite and the stranger and the orphan and the widow who are in your towns. Seven days you shall celebrate a feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses, because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands, so that you will be altogether joyful. Three times in a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God which he has given you. You shall appoint for yourself judges and officers in all your towns which the Lord your God is giving you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not distort justice, you shall not be partial, and you shall not take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and perverts the words of the righteous. Justice, and only justice, you shall pursue, that you may live and possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not plant for yourself an Asherah of any kind of tree beside the altar of the Lord your God, which you shall make for yourself. You shall not set up for yourself a sacred pillar, which the Lord your God hates. You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep which has a blemish or any defect, for that is a detestable thing to the Lord your God. If there is found in your midst, in any of your towns, which the Lord your God is giving you, a man or a woman who does what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, by transgressing his covenant, and has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, or the sun, or the moon, or any of the heavenly host, which I have not commanded, and if it is told you, and you have heard of it, then you shall inquire thoroughly. Behold, if it is true, and the thing certain that this detestable thing has been done in Israel, then you shall bring out that man or that woman who has done this evil deed to your gates, that is, the man or the woman, and you shall stone them to death. On the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, he who is to die shall be put to death. He shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. The hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. If any case is too difficult for you to decide between one kind of homicide or another, between one kind of lawsuit or another, or between one kind of assault or another, being cases of dispute in your courts, then you shall arise and go up to the place which the Lord your God chooses. So you shall come to the Levitical priest, or the judge who is in office in those days, and you shall inquire of them, and they will declare to you the verdict in the case. 
you shall do according to the terms of the verdict which they declare to you from that place which the Lord chooses. And you shall be careful to observe according to all that they teach you. According to the terms of the law which they teach you, and according to the verdict which they tell you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside from the word which they declare to you, to the right or the left. The man who acts presumptuously by not listening to the priest who stands there to serve the Lord your God, nor to the judge, that man shall die. Thus you shall purge the evil from Israel. Then all the people will hear and be afraid, and will not act presumptuously again. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, and you possess it and live in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your countrymen you shall set as king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countryman. Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. He shall not multiply wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away. Nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom. He shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, to the right or the left, so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. The Levitical priests, the whole tribe of Levi, shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's offerings by fire and his portion. They shall have no inheritance among their countrymen. The Lord is their inheritance, as he promised them. Now this shall be the priests due from the people, from those who offer a sacrifice, either an ox or a sheep, of which they shall give to the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the stomach. You shall give him the first fruits of your grain, your new wine, and your oil, and the first shearing of your sheep. For the Lord your God has chosen him and his sons from all your tribes, to stand and serve in the name of the Lord forever. Now, if a Levite comes from any of your towns throughout Israel where he resides, and comes whenever he desires to the place which the Lord chooses, then he shall serve in the name of the Lord his God, like all his fellow Levites, who stand there before the Lord. They shall eat equal portions, except what they receive from the sale of their father's estates. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of these nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son 
or his daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who casts a spell, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you shall dispossess, listen to those who practice witchcraft and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire any more, or I will die. The Lord said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he will speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. You may say in your heart, How will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. When the Lord your God cuts off the nations whose land the Lord your God gives you, and you dispossess them and settle in their cities and in their houses, you shall set aside three cities for yourself in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God gives you to possess. You shall prepare the roads for yourself, and divide into three parts the territory of your land which the Lord your God will give you as a possession so that any manslayer may flee there. Now this is the case of the manslayer who may flee there and live. When he kills his friend unintentionally, not hating him previously, as when a man goes into a forest with his friend to cut wood, and his hand swings the axe to cut down the tree, and the iron head slips off the handle and strikes his friend so that he dies. He may flee to one of these cities and live. Otherwise, the avenger of blood might pursue the manslayer in the heat of his anger and overtake him, because the way is long, and take his life, though he is not deserving of death, since he had not hated him previously. Therefore, I command you, saying, You shall set aside three cities for yourself. If the Lord your God enlarges your territory, just as he has sworn to your fathers, and gives you all the land which he promised to give your fathers, if you carefully observe all this commandment which I command you today, to love the Lord your God, 
and to walk in his ways always? Then you shall add three more cities for yourself, besides these three. So innocent blood will not be shed in the midst of the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, and blood guiltiness be on you. But if there is a man who hates his neighbor, and lies in wait for him, and rises up against him, and strikes him so that he dies, and he flees to one of these cities, then the elders of this city shall send and take him from there, and deliver him into the hand of the avenger of blood, that he may die. You shall not pity him, but you shall purge the blood of the innocent from Israel, that it may go well with you. You shall not move your neighbor's boundary mark, which the ancestors have set, in your inheritance, which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God gives you to possess. A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. If a malicious witness rises up against a man to accuse him of wrongdoing, then both the men who have the dispute shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who will be in office in those days. The judges shall investigate thoroughly, and if the witness is a false witness, and he has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him just as he had intended to do to his brother. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. The rest will hear and be afraid, and will never again do such an evil thing among you. Thus you shall not show pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Psalm 43 Vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And upon the lyre I shall praise you, O God, my God. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Okay, a shorter reading than what we usually have been doing lately, but that's not a bad thing. And it looks like the commentary is going to be pretty short as well, so let's get right into it. In chapter 16 of Deuteronomy, we have commands concerning the festivals that God has instituted, namely the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. Again, this is a retelling of the law, so he is reminding the new generation that they must obey these festivals. They are for their own good, as well as to honor the Lord. But ultimately, God's purpose for this is revealed in verse 15. 
when they are feasting to the Lord in the place that the Lord chooses. In other words, where the tabernacle is, where the temple is, or wherever God chooses to put his name at that time. They are supposed to go there and fulfill these festivals. That's why you see in the New Testament, when Jesus is walking the earth, that all of these festivals are taking place in Jerusalem, because that is where the temple is, and that is where God put his name. The reason why he wants them to obey these festivals is revealed here. Because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands, so that you will be altogether joyful. That's why he's doing this. Not only does he want to be worshipped properly, but he's doing it so that we can have joy. It should be a good thing. It should be a wondrous thing to be able to go to the house of the Lord to celebrate who he is and what he has done. Imagine if we all saw church this way. Imagine if we had it in our minds that we were going to meet God at church today, and that as we come together as a body of believers, we are filled with the joy of knowing that this body is a body of redeemed people, people that have been called together as God's children and Christ's body, and we are worshiping together. It really is such a wonderful thing. And by being obedient to these festivals, it is for the benefit of both God and man, right? It says that God will bless them in all their produce, meaning that they will never lack anything they need, and that they will be blessed in the work of their hands. What they do will produce something of good. That's why he does it. He's doing it for our good and for his glory. That's what motivates him for pretty much everything. And so that's why he wants them to obey these festivals. And these are fun events. These are feasts and festivals and dancing and singing. These are joyous times. These are not burdensome, and they shouldn't feel burdensome. Same thing with church. Church should not feel burdensome to us. We should be excited and anticipating going to visit God's house every Sunday. That is what it's intended to be. It's not meant to be a burden. Then he talks about, at the end of the chapter, how judges and leaders should not be corrupt. Their one job is to lead the people with justice. And you can't have proper justice without truth. They need to lead with integrity and in truth. Then in chapter 17, he talks about the sacrifices, where the sacrifices should be done, as well as reminding the people of some of the other laws that have been instituted through Moses. The first thing he mentions is that if you know of somebody who is acting wickedly in worshiping idols or serving false gods, they deserve to die. That's how serious he took it. And while I don't know how you feel about all that, but I have heard some people express their concern about this, that God is being too extreme. But why is he being so extreme? For one, there is no place for evil in God. So just like how Jesus says that one cannot serve two masters, we cannot serve both God and evil. We cannot serve both God and Baal, or God and money, or God and possessions, or God and our own pride, 
You can put anything in there, but they are all incompatible with God because being in love with the world is making God your enemy. So you can't have it both ways, right? But the whole point of this is like he says at the end of several places in our reading today. You shall purge the evil from your midst. The whole point of upholding laws and upholding justice is to eliminate the evil in our midst. It's no small wonder that all the stuff going on in the United States right now, especially in the key cities where all this woke garbage is happening, is because there's no justice. No one is upholding integrity and law anymore. So it is becoming quickly a lawless land. So it's no wonder things are getting so bad, because the evil is not being purged, because the people are corrupt. It's almost as if God knew what he was talking about when he established this law. But that's just a theory of mine, and I hope you know I'm being sarcastic. Then he expounds upon the fact that if there is a court case that is too difficult for the judges to decide on, there's a hung jury, so to speak, then you get the priests in the temple involved. And between the judges and the priests, they will make a verdict on it. And you have to hold to whatever the verdict says. You can't deviate from it. So whatever they decided, you got to go with it. That is the final decision. Then you have something here which I found very interesting when I read it the first time. When you come to verse 14, there's a whole section here about when Israel is going to have a king. So is this in anticipation for Israel wanting a king? Or is God putting this in the law because he wants them to have a king? Well, he's already said it to some degree, and he's made it very clear throughout the law of Moses that he is their Lord. The Lord not only being his proper name, Yahweh, but the term Lord, what does that mean? It means someone who is your superior, someone that you serve. And in kingdoms, you serve a king, right? So in other words, the Lord is their king, right? There's going to be a period of time after the book of Judges, and really during the book of Judges, it's already in place, but they're going to want a king. They're going to feel left out from these other nations, and so they want to be like them and have a king. Samuel is going to be the leader at that time, and he's acting as judge in his lifetime, and he's going to be zealous for God in challenging Israel, in saying that, why do you want a king? The Lord is your king. But God, in his grace, allows them to have a king, even though he knows it's not going to go well. That is not going to be the answer to their problems. The problem is that they have stopped worshiping the Lord and serving him with a whole heart. That's the real problem. But God in his grace has allowed this to be a clause, if you will, in the law. There are a few rules that we're going to see here, and I want you to kind of keep these in the back of your mind as we go into the portions of Scripture where we see these kings happen because you're going to see that they do not fulfill God's policy on kings. Not even King David does. First, it has to be somebody from their own people, 
It has to be an Israelite. At least they get that right. The second thing is, they can't be multiplying horses for themselves, meaning that military power should not be what they're aiming for. Because if their trust is in the Lord, the Lord will deliver them from their problems. But they should not be trusting in military might to rule with an iron fist. The second thing they're not supposed to do is cause the people to return to Egypt. This also means they should not be making alliances with evil kingdoms like Egypt. And third, it says that they should not multiply wives for themselves. That's going to be one that none of these kings get right. Because you're going to see, even in King David, how before he even sits on the throne, he's already got at least two wives. And then by the end of it all, he's got tons of wives and concubines. Solomon, way more than that even. So no, they are not going to get this right. And God is making it clear here that polygamy is not okay. It never was, and it never will be. And the reason why it's bad is because that is not how God's design for marriage was, but it also says that they will turn his heart away. They will distract him. They will cause him to stray from the path of God. Likewise, he should not be worried about material wealth. Now, if you think about Solomon, how he was the richest man probably to ever live, he violated this, even though the whole nation prospered at that time. Or I also think of King Hezekiah, who, when he invited Babylon to come look at all his treasury, he showed off all his stuff as a means of boasting. And that's not what God wants for his people. He doesn't want them to boast about what they have. Really, the only thing they should be boasting in is boasting in the Lord, which is what the New Testament teaches in a lot of places. Now, I like what God wants the king to do, is that once they become king, they have to write their own copy of the scriptures. From Genesis through Deuteronomy, they have to write it in their own hands with their own pen and paper. And I think that's remarkable, because it is a personal investment into the law yourself, and you become more attuned to it in your own walk with God. I think that's beautiful. And I know that they did that commonly in those days, but the Bible is not clear about who did it and who did not. It seems like several kings did not do this at all, though. Then in chapter 18, we have rules about the Levites, which we've already talked about in great detail. We talked about false prophets and people who use witchcraft and magic. They are detestable in God's sight. And then it mentions in the middle of the chapter how the Lord is going to raise up a prophet like me. Moses has identified himself as a prophet, and rightly so. He is the one who is communicating the word of God. But what he's saying is that there is going to be a prophet like him who will come later, and this person is to be obeyed just like Moses. And it says here that God is going to put his words in his mouth and that he will do everything that God commands him. Who do you think this is alluding to? This is alluding to Jesus. Jesus is the prophet that will come. And he is going to speak everything that the Lord wants him to say. 
Remember what Jesus says often. I do not speak on my own initiative, but everything I speak is what the Father wants me to speak. In doing that, he is fulfilling this. He's spreading the word of God. He is only saying what God wants him to say. And if they do not listen to my words that he speaks, I myself will require it from him. This is alluding to how salvation is only found in Christ. That if you don't listen to the words of Jesus, that means you're not listening to the word of the Father, which means you have no portion in him. You will be separated from him. You are going to be an unbeliever that is destined for hell. That is exactly what he is referring to here in Deuteronomy. This was always in the law of Moses, and yet the Pharisees never saw it. They never understood this. They had the God that they claimed to serve right in front of them in a physical body. And everything that he said, they hated because they did not really know God. They were religious, but it was only skin deep. Then it reminds us again of how to tell if a prophet is legit or not. And the only way to tell if a prophet is legitimate or not is if what he's saying reflects God's word with accuracy and all his predictions come true. That is how you know it's from God. Otherwise, they are false and they deserve to die. Chapter 19 talks again about the cities of refuge, the sanctuary cities, where if you accidentally kill someone, you can go hide there until the high priest dies. There's also a paragraph here about how you can't move boundary marks. In other words, every piece of land that belongs to a particular family is going to have borders drawn for it. And you can't move those borders to make your land a little bigger or to make theirs a little smaller. The boundary marks are to remain always. And then we are reminded one more time that anytime a court case is brought up, nothing can be confirmed unless there are at least two or three witnesses. And in the event that they identify one of these witnesses is false and he's just making trouble, there is a process involved here to identifying him as a liar and prosecuting him as well. And this leads us into Psalm 43 for today. It doesn't have a description at the beginning of it, but my Bible suggests that it is a continuation of Psalm 42. I don't know that for sure, but it seems to be one single long poem because of the way that it starts and the way that it ends. It has the same ending as Psalm 42, therefore it seems to be a continuation. The writer of this psalm is still in distress, and we all have been there, and some of us are in there right now. And he is pleading for God to vindicate him. He has been wrongfully accused. He has been treated harshly without cause. And this resonates with me because my family has been going through this very thing. False accusations, corruption even within our own church, and it's very hard to handle that, especially when nobody wants to believe us, even though we are innocent in the matter. It's very disheartening. Even among God's people, it happens. 
especially in God's people, it happens. But yet, we understand that God is the one who is the protector of the innocent. God takes care of his church because he is the head of the church, and that we just need to have confidence and trust in God, that things will go well. God is capable of fixing any of our problems, and we need to have confidence that God is able to mend these broken relationships, or that God is able to cause healing in our souls where we have been wronged and where we have been abused or where we have been treated harshly. Healing must take place, and it only happens in God's grace. I know sometimes it doesn't feel like God answers fast enough, but the reality is is that God's timing is different from ours. He knows what we need, and sometimes he allows these trials to occur in our life in order for us to learn from them. There is likely a spiritual lesson going on here that we need to recognize and learn from. And in my case, I often get these trials, and I don't move out of these trials until I get the lesson, until the lesson is understood and I'm ready to go to the next step. Perhaps that's what's happening with you today. Perhaps what you're going through right now is the result of a trial. Perhaps there is something that you are supposed to learn from this. Perhaps you are not supposed to lose heart or be depressed or be anxious about what your enemy or opponent is doing. But in the end, God is sovereign. He is holy, and he will vindicate those who are innocent. He is supposed to be the God of our strength, and he never rejects us. It may feel like it sometimes when he doesn't act fast enough for our liking. But God is a God of justice, and he wants the evil to be purged from the midst of his people. So, like it says here, hope in God and praise him, because that is where our help comes from. Hope in God, because he's the only one who is able to get you out of that situation. The scripture to memorize today is a pretty simple one. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 13. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. You shall be someone who has a clear conscience in what they do. You should be somebody who is not living a double life, trying to do the things of God, but also trying to live in a worldly fashion, pursuing selfish desires, accumulating wealth, indulging in the lusts of the world. We are to be blameless. We are to be upright in heart. We are to be innocent before the eyes of God. God has called us to be a holy people, and let us act like holy people. And with that, that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan. We'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.